Welcome to the pilot episode of the Tigers Not Kittens podcast. We invite you to bend your ear as we delve into the sarcastic madness of seriousness. But first, a word from our sponsors. Oh, that's right. We don't have any sponsors. Tigers Not Kittens is a joint project between myself, LJ, and my good friend. On today's podcast, we will be discussing different types of range ammunition, as well as reviewing a couple different options for eyes and ears. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Welcome to episode one of the Dead Serial Podcast. I'm your host, LJ. Real quick, I'd like to touch on our project, Tigers Not Kittens. You can read this same statement almost verbatim on our website, tigersnotkittens.com. TNK started off as a laugh between myself and a good friend of mine, mirroring lions not sheep, with all due respect, Mr. Whalen. And with our shared love for the Second Amendment, patriotism, and appreciation for law enforcement and other first responders. I set out to create an Instagram account, our web domain, made our first shirt and some stickers. Also uh, created our first line of shirts, American Legends. I also voiced my interest in starting the Tigers Not Kittens podcast. Shortly after, my silent partner, so to speak, voiced that they were opting out and giving me full control of Tigers Not Kittens, or TNK. And if it's going to be mine, it's going to be more than just Tigers Not Kittens. Tigers Not Kittens has become the hosting domain for the Dead Serial Podcast. It'll also remain as a line of content and merchandise under Dead Serial. And now I'd like to offer a quick introduction to the Dead Serial Podcast. I keep getting asked what this podcast is about, and in short, it's about everything. I plan on sitting down with friends and guests and getting to know them. There might be a focus or a topic point, and there may not be. We might just sit down and bullshit. Occasionally, I might even just share a speech or a lecture by someone like John F. Kennedy or Terrence McKenna, maybe somebody else I look up to. I'll also try to have a short opening with an introduction to each episode. And finally, I'm new to this. It's completely done do-it-yourself and simply for me, not for profit. But hey, if I can sell some merchandise and stickers to boot, why not? Before we delve into the first episode of the podcast with our first guest, Heather Caston, I do have two shout-outs that I feel like I need to give recognition to. These guys have been following us since Tigers Not Kittens. They've supported us into our transition with Dead Cereal. The Lispy and Unique Skill Set. Now, uh, the Lispy you can find on Instagram. He's a vet. He's a blogger. You can also find him on the Patriotic Online Marketplace, which I highly recommend you check out to support our vets who have started their own businesses. Uh, Unique skill set, or John from Fenry Recovery, is a badass bounty hunter. Excellent taste in music. 
good dude. Can't wait to meet him. Uh, anyways, please give these guys a follow. If you're not following Dead Serial on Instagram, you can follow us at dead underscore serial. I try to put daily content either on the page itself or definitely in the story. Most of my posts on Instagram will relate to a post in the story. I'm trying to meld all this together between the podcast and social media. Not so much Facebook, just focusing on Instagram. Uh, and with that said, without further ado, welcome to episode one of the Dead Serial Podcast. I'm your host, LJ, and on tonight's episode, our guest is Heather Casson, who's currently a paralegal, but she was a victim's advocate, uh, experienced in first response, crisis management, safety planning, curriculum training, and volunteer coordination experience in large-scale productions and intense training on specialized topics ranging from domestic violence to large-scale tattoo conventions and music festivals. That's quite the mouthful. Thanks for having me, LJ. (laughs) Thanks for being my guinea pig. It'll be an adventure. It will be an adventure. So, if you don't mind, I'll just say I've wanted to do a podcast for a long time, for four or five years now, and I've talked to three or four friends over those years about doing it, and I've never really motivated to do it, and you and I had a conversation at a barbecue for our friend's house not too long ago this last summer. You mentioned your work history, and we had a conversation that brought awareness to me that instantly thought, when I do a podcast, I want you to be my first guest. Yeah, so um, that was an interesting, it was an interesting part of my life. I, uh, to kind of fill in some of that background, I graduated from the University of Utah in 1993. I'm dating myself now, but, uh, and I graduated with a double bachelor's in anthropology and behavioral health and science. And as a result of my mother's social work, and advocacy, I immediately thought that I wanted to pursue a master's or a PhD and learn about how domestic violence impacted women and children who were uh, second and third, sometimes third generation immigrants to this country. And I ended up getting a job at the YWCA and Worked uh, my way up. I worked in probably just about every program they had there. I worked in the front office. I was a receptionist. I worked with the young women's groups there and uh, ultimately landed a position working in the battered women's shelter. And what an eye opener that was as far as how the real world can operate. Um, And I worked my way, I worked directly hands on with many women um, and in fact many abusers who would come pounding on the doors late at night and um, sometimes bringing weapons and trying to gain access to uh, women who were seeking shelter there at the time and uh, as I learned more and more I received specialized training in how to work not only with people who were survivors of domestic violence but I ultimately had the opportunity to start working with abusers. From I was I was at the YWCA for probably close to ten years ish, maybe about eight years. And in 
2000, let's see, from 95 to 2000, I actually was recruited and worked for the Salt Lake City Police Department. And I partnered with the woman who was the creator of the model program that allowed people to go out on scene with police officers when they responded to domestic violence calls so that we could try and provide immediate first response intervention to people who were seeking to actually get into shelter. Okay. <laughs> so it's kind of a long evolution. My mom actually worked at the first battered women's shelter uh, that opened in Madison, Wisconsin in like 1974. And she was a counselor. They, at that time, a lot of times shelters were just larger homes that were opened up and they would have staff on site overnight to take people in that the police dropped off. And she would bring me with her and I would spend the night. Um, so you had exposure to that. Yeah, long history of social well, advocacy. And not an exposure to domestic violence necessarily, but to... Just social advocacy yeah, and being social aware. Social advocacy and being aware. Yeah. Which our conversation made me, I think I said this earlier, more aware in 36 years in a 30-minute conversation than really... I've never had a real conversation with somebody who responds to and and helps people in that situation. Mm-hmm. So that's insane. Um, it was it was really an insane journey for close to 10 years, 11 years of my life. Um, and to give you an idea of um, some of the statistics, I brought along some information and even I was a little surprised um, for this year's statistics. I brought along the uh, 2017 Utah domestic violence related deaths. And this year, so far, there have been a total of, I think there's 50, there's 28, 28 deaths, and over 50% of those are related to um, gunshot wounds. Okay. There are some other, um, you know, strange things. There's head trauma, there's car crash, there's arson, there's strangulation, there's... Um, you know, some other kinds of, I guess, you know, all death is sobering, but I was really surprised to learn that uh, so many of these were all directly gunshot related. Um, and the number of, that is 28, that hanging, head trauma. But yeah, like I was really surprised that over 50% of these were gunshot, uh, gunshot related. And uh, it brings, you know, that's just this year alone, 28 deaths. And uh, you know, all the statistics that I'm you know, pulling from are from national and or state related sources. But <clears throat> I started just, when you asked me to come in and talk about this, I was like, I probably need to brush up and see what's going on as far as the state is concerned. And you okay. know, I could have brought previous years comparisons or whatever, but I think it's really interesting where our country is at right now. And um, looking at the fact of gun violence in our country, I think is so interesting and how it's related to domestic violence. So I just thought I would share that interesting fact that over 50%, of, well over 50% of these 
probably 70% are related to gunshot wounds. And these are death. They resulted in death right. of well, another and, person's partner. In our initial conversation, I, I actually asked you how you felt or what the weight of firearms was and not necessarily from the attacker's perspective, but from the victim's perspective. And if, if they themselves were trained in efficient firearms and had a, a still firearm permit or in, in their private property were able to carry a firearm to defend themselves, how you felt that that might affect them and do you say that it could be good or bad at the time? Sure, no. yeah, and I think um, I think it poses an interesting question and, and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we start to talk about the dynamics of domestic violence because while I think a person who's been exposed to extreme forms of violence may actually feel better and it may give them a greater sense of control being able to own and safely operate a weapon may give something back to them, a sense of power and control in their own lives that may have been taken away or was missing. Okay. I don't know that gun ownership itself in a violent relationship is going to do anybody any good. Right. You know, so of course you're going to always take into account how, you know, what, how, how severe is the abuse and what are the personalities of the parties involved? Were they already gun owners? Were they already gun owners who operated firearms safely, you know, and had a respect for firearms or was it a, a loose cannon, if you will, already, yeah. and guns were just laying Somebody around and not locked up, and, and you found know. a means to an end. Oh, a gun will help me defend right. myself. I can get a gun here. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it, which can lead to a greater, and, yeah, which yeah. can lead to a greater exposure uh, of a person's safety, right? With a, right. With a gun laying around and, and not safely locked up. So, if we jump back to your time at the to why. By WMCA. By WCA. Mm -hmm. Take the M out. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, what was, you, you mentioned that you were exposed to or dealt with abusers coming to that sanctuary. Mm -hmm. Aggressors primarily and trying mm -hmm. to pursue a violent means to an end, if you will, whether it was verbally or physically. As a first responder, were you armed did you have like self-defense weapons would you just call the police how would you sure. handle an encounter sure well, well I, mean, I can i can't imagine it as a victim let alone as a first responder what sure when know? i was when I, well of course when i worked at the shelter the address was of course supposed to be secret like nobody was supposed to know yeah. where the shelter was um and it was it was kept relatively private um However, people, you know, there were no guns allowed there, right? So we were dealing with the aftermath of a person who had tried to leave an abusive relationship. And um, that's always one of the most volatile times in an abusive relationship is when the person who is a victim is trying to leave or escape the relationship. Um, much like rape, domestic violence is not a crime of passion. It is a crime of power and control. Um, and the abuser is the person 
who is out of control. They seek to control um, those in their lives because they themselves are out of control. And when I say out of control, I don't mean that they're crazy. What I mean is bad things happen and they feel like they don't have any control over their reaction to it. And um, that leads to, you know, kind of learning the fundamentals of the cycle of violence. But being, I didn't get to be an actual first responder until I worked for the police department where okay. I would actually go on scene with people and arrive in a police car um, with the with police. A badge. With, <laughs> yeah, with, with the badge. a badge. No um, firearm, but yeah. No firearm, <laughs> yeah. But, um, and arrive with the police, right? And, and the police would interview both parties. And particularly um, at the time that I was doing this was post O.J. Simpson. And the reason that's relevant is that the O.J. Simpson case actually did enormous amount um, in the early 90s to raise awareness again about violence against women in this country and other countries but particularly domestic violence. Right. Um, and so we would arrive on scene, they would interview the parties, and then a decision had to be made because at that time, the laws uh, in the state of Utah were such that they were beginning to change where a person had to be arrested from the point of domestic violence. If, do if yeah. domestic somebody's violence, going somebody's to jail. going to jail. Right. And it, sometimes it was actually physical jail Sometimes when you're arrested, quote unquote, my fingers are moving in the air, <laughs> um, it was actually just a written citation and they wouldn't physically take the abuser to jail. They would cite them with a ticket saying they had committed domestic violence and they would have them leave. They would just of go to somebody else. Well, yeah. well, yeah, I mean, they were yes. like, you can't be okay. here if you come back here and we're called again then you're actually going to go yeah. behind Physically the bars. Physically going to jail. Yeah, but they were given an opportunity to leave, you know, to walk away for the night or whatever. And um, while I don't have any statistics on that, um, again, when you try to separate and to force, when people are trying to leave an abusive relationship, it becomes extremely volatile, which is why people don't report it. Um so let's talk a little bit about what, what is domestic violence? Yeah, like, please. You know, who does it involve? And I didn't bring my statute book with me, but basically it's two people who co cohabitate together. So you don't actually have to be married. Uh, yeah. You could be in a gay relationship. It could it be could a roommate. Be, it could be right? a roommate. Yeah. It could be um, a daughter on mother. It could be mother on son. Typically, of course, those mom's boyfriend moves in. Yes, is shitty to mom and or any people kids. who reside at a residence together, and it could be for a very short period of time. It could be somebody who moved in for two weeks, but you got to share the residence. That's sort of the implied, sure. the the implied um, meaning behind the statute was that it was two people who lived together. Um. So, what is it? You know. How does domestic, you know, what does it look like? You know, what does domestic violence look like? And uh, one of the things I was always amazed to learn early on was that um, it takes, on average, somewhere between 
five to seven times longer to heal from those types of injuries or scenarios that we talk about as being, you know, what classifies domestic violence, the black eye, a broken arm. Um, but it could be but mental. It, there's mental verbal abuse, abuse. There's psychological mm. abuse. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm extremely naive. There's and, financial abuse. There's um, coercion and threats. You know, there's using intimidation. There's um, economic abuse. There's um, using somebody's children against them. There's minimizing and denying and blaming. Um, they get isolated. And, of course, there's immu- um, emotional abuse, right? So okay. those are all the non-physical type. You know, we talk about physical abuse. Well, broken bones heal and black eyes recover and you can put a stake on them or right. an ice compress or whatever but it takes so much longer to recover from the isolation you know from the isolation and the emotional abuse that actually happens um, in a domestic violence relationship and typically what happens is abusers are they know they want to they need to get the person away from any supporting factors. So isolation is huge, right? Like, I don't want to go hang out at your sister's house because she doesn't like me. I don't want to go to your parents' house. So when, you know, two people... So isolating the individual from... From supporting other supporting right, family, systems. friends. Yeah, that's, a, that's usually how it starts. Um, we talk about... Dogs are killing me. Come on. Sorry. That's okay. It was a dog-friendly podcast. It was, but now it's changed. But yeah, no, no longer. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's uh, it's such a, it's such a, I guess in my mind it seems so simple, but it is sometimes can be really complex when you talk about how did how does this happen? Like nobody walks into a relationship, dates somebody for two weeks, gets punched. And says, and I don't want to be with you anymore, fucker, yeah. we're done. You I'm know, in, right? I'm, like, yeah. that's, not how, that's not how it happens. It's a very subtle process. Is it typically somebody that would be... Uh, I don't know. I'm, again, I'm so naive, which is why when you told me what you did as a previous profession, what your background was, and exposed me to that level of seriousness, if you will, I, I was felt like I had to have a conversation with mm-hmm. you and that we should share that conversation. So excuse me, but being extremely naive. I just want to get that out of the way. Yeah, no, <laughs> you're, I mean... You're it's... educating me as much as I hope anybody who might listen to this in the future would, would take away from it. Sure. So if I have a, a dumber slow question or if I'm listening for long periods of time I'm just trying to yeah there are there are no dumb questions suck it in and as we you know as we (laughs) talked about this is not an easy conversation to have it is a very real issue in our country and everyone who's going to listen to this knows someone who has been a victim and a survivor hopefully of domestic violence it could be your friend. It could be a relative. But it is so prevalent. Uh, nationally, the statistics are one in three of right. all women 
um, and being abused. Most recently, billboards around town here in Salt Lake City that mm-hmm. state that mm-hmm. one in three. Yeah, which is insane. Right. You don't hear it because nobody talks it like about that. it. Nobody talks about it anymore. You see which the high, high, high profile stuff. Right. You know. So how does that how does that continue in our in our society, and why why does it perpetuate itself? Right. right? So that could be a whole other podcast. But, (laughs) um, you know, so we talk about, um, you know, how does it start? And basically it starts out with, um, you know, there is an actual cycle of violence that happens. And uh, you start dating somebody, right? And when you start, when you start dating somebody initially, everybody's in, you know, what we kind of call the the honeymoon phase, even if you're not married, right? right? It's very exciting. It's um, everything's fresh. Not only is it fresh it's and new, new, it's this person it's, is really they're paying into attention me. to you. Yeah. yeah. And they are, you know, they're doing everything in their power because their self esteem is getting boosted, right? Men It's a mutual yeah, benefit. Men sense. are treating women fantastically and you know, I'm gonna treat this from the perspective of men and women in a relationship. There are Subtle dynamics that happen in the LGBT community, right. which we touched upon, or roommates, yeah. or and, right. But they're know, they're different, and even I mean, something. even roommates, um, you know, can be it can be slightly different. But it really is predominant. I mean, the focus of what I wanted to talk about is yeah. men and women who are in relationships. But that's not to say that there are not reverse cases where women abuse men. I think that's understandable. Um, and, you know, same-sex relationships and all that kind of stuff. But the di- the power dynamics are still the same. You're with a person, you get into a relationship, and everything is really super exciting. And it goes on. And, and the length of time can vary. Um, but what happens is when that first incident of abuse happens as a result of the person who is an abuser, losing control. And it can be, maybe you've gone out and, you know, you went out with your girlfriends and uh, came home too late and they're jealous and a big fight ensues. And they're like, well, I don't want you to go out with your friends anymore. You know, or I don't like Susie because she takes you to all these places, right? It's the beginning of that person's insecurities coming out, feeling like, they have a right to tell the other party, you can't do something. Yeah. Where it's one thing to be either uncomfortable or upset to a certain extent of a situation like that, but it shouldn't be something you you can't do that. Right. That shouldn't it it shouldn't be, that okay. shouldn't be a part of the conversation. Right. I mean And then as a man engaged with women in relationships most especially with my wife. That's something that I had to learn. It wasn't so much as a you can't as, well, I'm uncomfortable with it, so why do you? And now that's, it's no that longer... That changes the dynamic it's to no a dialogue. It's no longer an issue. You well, know it changes I mean? the dynamic to a no, dialogue. No, I'm going to go to Lodge and hang out with my brothers mm-hmm. every Tuesday, the first of the month, and if something comes up with your girlfriends, that's that same night, awesome. Or if it's a Saturday night, cool. I'll stay home and indulge in self-medicating and playing video games. <laughs> but it took me a long time to get to that point and 
you don't really understand that that can be the dynamic that is a slippery slope towards a controlling and ultimately abusive relationship, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, But it also is one that in the beginning of a relationship, everybody's trying to please everybody else. Yeah. And so the women will frequently, because by nature, most women typically want to be nurturers, pleasers. We have a harder time with boundaries, I think. Okay. So we're willing to exceed and be like, okay, I'm not going to go out with Sally anymore. Right? I want to be with you. I want to, you know, let's continue on. And, you know, yeah, Sally's kind of crazy. I know she's high strung or, you know, whatever it is. And so they kind of acquiesce and they, that line in the sand gets pushed back a little bit further. And that's the beginning where you are constantly moving your line in the sand to please the other party. And they will take greater and greater um, steps to push that boundary, that boundary back. So that essentially you start giving up things like hanging out with your family, hanging out with your friends altogether. Um, Maybe you are being put in a position to work from home. You know, like I don't want you, you know, you're going to say this is what I expect. This is what I want from you. A lot of times it's, uh, you know, domestic violence has no boundaries. There are no socioeconomic boundaries. It happens to women who are homeless. It happens to women that I suspect are like Ivana Trump. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter who you are. And it, right. it of course, also crosses all cultural boundaries, right? right. There it's are not... many other cultures who actually still believe that it is a man's right to dominate a woman, his wife, and his children in their culture. That's actually a very real belief. Yeah. That they have the right to control in them this physically. Day and age in different parts of the world. Yeah. And, and it's here not when just they come here. An issue amongst Caucasian women in the United States. No. It's across all spectrum. Yeah. And it's it's, you know, not just cultural, but very much socioeconomic. And the other interesting thing is that drug drugs and alcohol don't That's not the deciding factor. There are still just as many men who do not drink and do not use drugs who have abused their partners as who do use drugs and alcohol and abuse their partners. So those two items are not the deciding factor. Yes, alcohol and drugs can exacerbate a situation and make it worse yeah, your judgment's but tendency, impaired. You're not but the tendency to abuse right. is already there, right? So right. it's just it's it's more it's you know I think that that's something that people still continue to promote. It's just it's only when he drinks, you know, that he beats yeah. me. It's only when you know he's well, that's used. That's the Jameson. That's not you know, Bob. Yeah. That's the Jameson. Yeah, that's, that's the Jameson. Jameson. Yeah. or you know whatever you know whatever your vice is is like you know. Well, with the exception of probably pot, but... I'm glad you said that. Yeah. <laughs> For no particular no, reason. Right. You know, I'm just but, saying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's very much... I mean, there's still uh, a heavy base of people who excuse their behavior on drugs and alcohol. But again, there are and just as many people who don't Not only the abuser, all. but wouldn't you agree that also the victim excuses it as well? 
Well, so now you're talking about like other other issues in people's lives, right? Why do why do people why do people abuse? Why do people use drugs? Why do right. people drink excessively, right? Typically it's because they want to mask the emotions that they're feeling. And people who have a tendency to abuse um particularly in domestic violence are not in the same category as people who have, you know, quote unquote anger issues, right? People with anger issues are going to be assholes to everybody in their life. They're right. going to be an asshole to their mom. They're going to be an asshole to their best friend. They're going to get into fights with people they hang out with. They're just going to be a dick in general. Yeah. And we all know people like right? that. Abusers yeah. have a tendency to promote that behavior typically to those within the confines that they live with. That's where it's delegated. They can look like the nicest guy next door. But what goes on behind closed doors in the home is where they feel like they have the ability to exert that power and control and all those horrible emotions that they can't talk about because they lost their job or they couldn't make a car payment or they couldn't buy groceries or whatever gets taken out on the people who live in those four walls. And abuse and power and control issues travel downwards. And that's why you find so much child abuse connected to domestic violence. It's because when an abuser is out of control, they're going to take it out on those closest to them. And those who have more power will always take it out on those who have less power, right? So dad has the most power. Shit rolls downhill. Shit rolls downhill. Mom has the next, and then she takes it out on the kids. Kids take it out on animals. It's a ripple effect. It is. It's really, and it's really scary. When it gets to a young mind harming innocent life in the shape of an animal it's as that's a severe warning sign yeah if it continues and evolves throughout childhood yeah because they're losing their sensitivity to the world around them right then you then you begin to breed serial killers yeah and mass shooters we're telling you this is people that are really very serious really fucked up subject that we're talking about and it's (laughs) it's hard to to pinpoint it and stay focused just on on one aspect it it Surprisingly to me, being ignorant, it's a rabbit hole. It, it it's is. It's insane. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's important that we have this uncomfortable, awkward conversation about some really serious shit. Sure. And the aftermath. And well, you know, we can, I mean, yeah. I'm gonna, now I'm going to throw a curveball, right? So Please. Here we are. We're talking about, you know, we're talking about me having been a victim's advocate, right? And, and why, why would that ever be important? Right. Why right. would why would somebody need an advocate to help now help them navigate through the justice system? Right. Okay. Here's a person who's had the shit beat out of them. We're it's we're not we're not even going to go there with with murder or, you know, really like the worst case scenarios. Right. We're going to just talk about an average crappy abusive relationship. OK. So why would somebody ever need a victim's advocate? Right. Well, here come the police. They arrest your partner. They put him in jail. Partner who's, who's most likely him. not only abusive, but probably helping supplement your income and uh, your maybe it's the only your mortgage income. or rent. Maybe it's the maybe only it's income. The only, yeah. And now a shitty person who's abusive is gone, at least temporarily. Yeah, the violence has stopped. But what I mean what, 
What happens what next? What the fuck do you do? What do you do now? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's you're not an just that. Yeah. It's not just learning about resources. Depending on how long the abuse has been going on, people who are in extenuating abusive relationships can barely navigate beyond a day. What? Yeah. Because Less than 24 hours. Yeah. And in some cases, they're just navigating four to six hours at a time. Like, where, where am I going to get diapers from? Where am I going to get dinner from? Where, what, you know, let alone dealing with things like animals, right? I mean, okay. where animals Didn't have been abused that. in the home, like where, you know, you might have, and, and those, those might be your lifeline, you know? Yeah. I mean, I know those are your babies. Absolutely. You know? And so, like, what are you going to, like, how can you find shelter for them? I shit you not, I went on a call where we intervened, the guy had taken off. He'd killed a litter of puppies and put them in the freezer. What? Yeah. Like, how disgusting is that? Just as... As revenge against her. Their dog had given birth to puppies, and he killed them by putting them all in the freezer. Like, they were newborns. fucking horrible. Yeah. I mean, and it's... I get that... Yes, we should all have more respect for human life. And, of course, we all do when we talk about atrocities that happen to children and other people. Right? But it's just like when you talk about shit rolling downhill, I mean, I can't even begin to explain some of the horrors that I myself have seen. I I can't even begin to imagine. But that's just like one example. Like, how do you, you know, if your animals are part of your lifeline, you've got to find sanctuary for them, too. You've got to find sanctuary for your children. How does that interrupt their schooling? How do they deal with that socially when they're pulled out and they're in a shelter? And, you know, like ending domestic violence in an immediate sense, you can begin to see why it becomes the most volatile point in ending an abusive relationship, particularly for people who have abusers who are so, for lack of a better term, cracked out. Um, You can take that if you need to. We can actually, we're actually going to take a cigarette break right now. Yeah. And you can take that call and we're going to come right back. smoke break well you had a smoke i had a bit of this vape thing from chevron abuse whatever <laughs> you filled up your wine we've had a couple bottles of wine i've had a couple beers we had some dinner um you educated me ironically what it, what month is it i believe we're still in october which would which be is domestic, domestic violence, violence awareness, awareness month. month right so october and, has the purple ribbon okay and when i initially talk to you about sitting down with me being on the first episode of my podcast having this conversation was in the middle of summer and I was hoping to have it published arrogantly by August 1st but it got pushed back to October and we're having this conversation and that that's pretty ironic very fitting we were talking about how you can't really imagine the cesspool of drama that's left I think is how you put it more or less and 
the chain reaction of abuse from the abuser, whether it's to a spouse, to the children, to the pets, or if it doesn't even trickle down, but they're just left and they have to figure out how they're changing diapers, what they're going to do for daycare, what they're doing with their pets, what they're going to do about rent, bills. I think that's where we kind of left off, but this is a rabbit hole, as I've mentioned to you before, and to me, trying to engage a conversation with you, I, I, I can't stop absorbing the information you're giving me, and I just, where do you want to take the conversation? Eventually, I do want us to get back to the point you brought up about a number of deaths being related to gun violence, and but at this point in the conversation, we're what do you want to try to get out? And I don't think this is going to be the only time we sit down and see this as being a two or three or four or five part sit down where we try to hash this shit out. <laughs> what, what do you what do you want to know about domestic violence? Like, what is it that bothers you, LJ? Like, what do you when you see uh, what you see on social media? Or on billboards or whatever. Like, what what do you bothers want to know? me initially, and based off of our very short conversation, it was like a 25, 30 minute conversation in the kitchen when we were waiting for tacos to get ready so we could eat because we were drinking and watching the U.S. game. <laughs> and for me, it's awareness. For myself, if nothing else. Cause what I, do you think? What do you think is awareness of of domestic violence? Like. What, you know, we can talk about wow. statistics, right? Statistics tell you how many people died from domestic violence in a given period of time, I, uh, by I, state, by national. What can we like, do to try to, I mean, aside from having the conversation, a never-ending, unraveling conversation, what progressive acts can we take outside of being a victim's advocate and first responder working with the police to to turn off that course i think i think that is a very i think that's an excellent question uh one of the things is if you are aware that someone is in an abusive relationship is to not give up support and don't allow them to become isolated uh, particularly if you know what's going on doesn't necessarily mean that you have to confront the abuser, but I think that it's imperative that you let them know that you're not going to let them become isolated. And you can simply say that, that, you know, I will respect, you know, your decisions, but you have to know that I will stay in contact with you. And I think that's really helpful, particularly in the realm of family, it's a little easier, right? When it's your sister, right. your mom, somebody to say, I'm going to be there. Yeah. It's a little bit. It becomes I'm stopping a bit, by. I'm calling. Yeah. I'm going to. You're coming you know, out for coffee. Whatever. Yeah. yeah I'm going to pull you out. You're going to come here for dinner. You're going to, you know, but you're not going to allow that person to become isolated. And that <clears throat> the harder, the harder discussions are around what are you going to do? But simply being there and being aware of the situation um, can provide a nor and, and not stigmatizing them, right? We, we don't understand why people don't leave. And as we've discussed previously, 
there's a lot of reasons why people don't leave. Right. Um, whether it's financial hardship or they're, you know, locked in or they genuinely love the person and they feel like they're going to change or, you know, all, all different, you know, whatever the reason might be. But you can justify simply, anything. But simply knowing that you're not going to go away and that somebody has their back um, is is huge. And I think the other thing that's really helpful is being aware of um, internet tools like a safety plan, you know. If, what do you mean by, um, by that? Like social media or email? On the internet, in general, there are thousands of websites that have safety plans for people who are in abusive relationships so that when shit gets real, um, just like when you're a kid and you practice a fire drill or an earthquake okay. drill, right? The Definitely more you, remember the that. More you practice, <laughs> the more you practice, the more you know what to do. When you're prepared, you know what to do. So if you have a safety plan <clears throat> in place, that means that... Your kids know which neighbors are okay to go to. Uh, you know which phone numbers to go to. Sometimes it might be in. It might even be having an extra bank account that your abuser doesn't know about. It might be having a hundred bucks stashed someplace in your glove box. It might be, you know, there's just things that you okay. you take proactive yeah. steps about who to notify, how to notify, when you should be heard from, what to do if you haven't been heard from. Uh, where to go, what are local resources that you can find. I've never even heard of anything like this. A safety plan, a website to go to to get something like that. So, and, in this, yeah, in the state of Utah, there's the udvc.org, um, and they are the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition, and they have resources. A lot of websites are equipped with tons of information and they have a safety exit so that if you're doing research at home and the abuser comes home it's a quick exit and it erases all browser history and everything so you can, it can't be traced um <clears throat> to protect the victim and yeah kids to protect the person or, you know whoever okay. might be looking for information um but you can also just have a plan and talk to your kids it's like any other kind of emergency preparedness, whether it's a fire drill, right? Every, you know, yeah. people practice family and safety awareness. Where's the fire extinguisher? Where's the first aid kit? Right? It, Everybody should know that. This might actually be the, uh, maybe a healthy way to segue this back to what you were saying with deaths and body, involving firearms. Because you say like a safety preparedness plan or... Second Amendment supporters might say always be ready and whether that's, you know, familiarity with hand-to-hand -hand combat or survival training or training with firearms or knowing where a fire extinguisher is in your home and how to use it mm -hmm. and things of, you know, survival tools, if you will. And a big part of me would think if somebody was coming to assault me, not from a domestic violence point of view, but I would either defend myself hand-to-hand hand, or if I ultimately felt my life was threatened, I would fall back onto a, a sidearm and, and defend myself accordingly. But then there is that aspect where individuals who maybe shouldn't have firearms do obtain them. And in a circumstance like this, escalate it to where there are deaths from firearms and 
do we try to tackle that question of the, the middle ground and the give and take and what's acceptable and what's not as far as a safety plan and preparedness? I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that if you are a person who's capable of operating a firearm in an intense situation, <clears throat> then by all means, a firearm should be a part of your safety plan. And what I mean by that is there are plenty of first responders who are women who have been involved in domestic violence. Okay. I myself, I didn't have a firearm, but having worked in law enforcement and knowing all the right steps to do, I mean, domestic violence is so pervasive in your psyche that you have to have that plan. You have to have something practiced and coordinated, almost fine-tuned to a military exercise, you know, just like a okay. fire drill or an earthquake plan. Yeah. What do you do for emergency preparedness? Who, what neighbors do your children go to? Who do they trust? Who can they, who can they run to? Yeah. I remember having those neighbors as a kid. When shit goes real, yeah. you know. You go to these one or when, two neighbors. When it goes pear-shaped. Forget all the other to? neighbors. Yeah. You go to these, one this, of these two neighbors. And this is where neighbors. your family can find yes. you. This is, you know, they might have contact numbers. And, it, well, it's, and when we were growing up, that especially was important because nowadays kids have cell phones. Right. We didn't have cell phones. Yeah. You came home and the lights kicked on in the streets mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. when you heard your mom holler out for dinner. Mm -hmm. And, or if you were locked out of the house and you couldn't get in or if you felt threatened and your parents were home. You went to those one or two neighbors, and that's the first place your parents were going to call or right. to come look for you. Yeah. And I know at least three times but in my childhood, those be... type of situations, that's where I was. Right. But on some level, those are, you know, it's different from that in the sense that you want the people that your kids are going to go to to be people who will call the police, that you know that you trust from, uh, from the survivor's perspective, like... Okay, they're not going to side with my abuser. They're going to call the cops. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. Absolutely. I didn't even consider that. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's so many different aspects to this. I mean, we could have 10 podcasts on this. 20, 30. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it what's literally is a rabbit in a safety hole. plan. Yeah, and it, it's huge. And it's hard to, do, especially for me, not really having any idea what I'm doing and trying to do a, a podcast and have a serious conversation that's, it's hard to direct it and to pinpoint it and stay on track. It's like a spider web. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm going to, you know, like one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to leave you with this big stack of paperwork nice. that I brought. And you can read through it. And I would hope that we can have another dialogue Okay. that allows for us to say, okay, here are some questions I have about this and what is it, you know, what, where can we go with this? You know, perhaps with the aim of discussing aspects of, you know, let's talk about abuser issues, right? Because we're not going to, we can talk about victims issues until the sun comes up. Right. Right. And there's lots of things in place for victims. And, you know, I can give you lots of resources for things that are here in this state and nationally that you can put on the website. Right? Yeah, well, and when I post a podcast, I absolutely would love to have those resources to put in the bio. So whether people 
maybe they don't even listen to the podcast, but they read the bio and associate with it and see that link and can go to that resource. Right, but at the which end of the day, huge. when the sun goes but down, it's the abusers we have to that's address those my issues. Feeling. How I, can, do we, I can agree with how that. How do we begin, you know, is it the victim's behavior we need to change? If you're the person who's a victim of a burglary, do you need to change your behavior? No. I, I mean, I mean, if you have those necessary precautions in place especially, yeah. You, you, know, you have an alarm random, system. You, if you have, have a safe. You have firearms, pets. If you have, yeah. you know, do you need to change your behavior? You know, so like why are we constantly addressing victims issues why are we not talking about the issues of the people who perpetuate these crimes and i mean you know it's all well and good you know we talk about assault right yeah many of the men that i know who are very good friends have all been assaulted at some time i'm not guilty of that in any way not at all (laughs) <laughs> and none of nobody's ever been in a bar only fight. in cases of self-defense nobody's ever been in you know but can you imagine what it would be like to be truthfully assaulted by somebody that you live with that you trust no I yeah. can't but I guarantee I, whether I know it or not I know friends and or family that have right so it's like why aren't we talking about what their issues are? Yeah. What do you think some of those issues are? Do you think it's a, a pop culture thing? Is it social etiquette? Is it a combination of both? I could, I mean, when I, because I grew well, really, up and blazing day, saddles was a, a, a very commonplace motion picture at the time. And yeah, sure, it pokes fun at everybody. And I get a laugh at, at that. But... There's a lot of innuendos in there, whether it's it's obviously more racially motivated in those jokes and that humor, but there's also sexual degradation and the German burlesque girl what with the big think, boobs seducting why do you think, the... Why do you, you know, what do you think would ever cause anybody to assault the person that they love the most? emotional imbalance I mean psychological imbalance I don't know I have no idea I, I have ideas I don't necessarily think it falls on you know the book Fight Club comes out and they make a motion picture of it and that drives somebody to be physically aggressive in their relationship but there has to be an emotional detachment somewhere something psychologically I don't know I, I'm completely naive in this realm. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe maybe we do a three-part series. Maybe the first three of your podcasts are us discussing this and talking about, you know, the cycle of violence. We've talked about the segue, right, where we've right. talked about, like, people, uh, you know, nobody gets punched in the face and has a second date. Yeah. Right? Because that's new and we all get that nobody's going to go there on the second date but it evolves over time so i think it would be prudent to explore why men 
commit domestic violence. And again, like I said, it's not, you know, for everybody who wants to be a naysayer or whatever, you know. Men yes, have been I abused by women. Yes. Men on men violence in a relationship. There are things involved in the cycle of violence where the other party uh, contributes to what amounts to the cycle of violence. And for you know, real quick, we'll talk. We'll talk. The, the cycle of violence is we start in the honeymoon phase, right? Because we're what together, you mentioned, right? right? Everybody's happy. It's going along. And something external is a trigger and creates an episode of violence. Uh, after that, everybody is contrite. And for those of you who can't see what I'm doing, I'm drawing a circle and it has arrows. So imagine my finger is drawing a circle and there's an arrow. And every point there's an arrow, there will be an action, right? So okay. honeymoon period, arrow, and that's the action of violence that happens. Whether it's, uh, you know, at uh, at a bar and somebody leaves and they're told they're a complete piece of shit and um, they don't ever want to see each other again and it's over and whatever. And after we follow that, there's a period of contrition, right? That's the makeup phase, right? So we go back into the, I'm so sorry, I'm never going to do that again. That was a one-time incident. That's not how I really am. And... You know, when you are in a newer relationship, people want to buy into that. People want to accept. They want to forgive. They want to go back to that period where they were in the honeymoon phase, phase, right? So they're willing to forgive, right? And so that comes down to the other side, right? And then over time, what happens is tension builds. And when tension builds, it's like, Things are going along, but the abuser begins to find that they're not as in control of everything as they think they are. And so then we build into this, you know, cycle of trying, you know, the, the, the victim is trying to make things right and trying to be perfect and trying to be that person that they were in the honeymoon phase or when they first started dating okay. or everything. And it's so tension builds. And when it's like, well, I'm doing everything I can, but you're not meeting my expectations either, right? Then right. we end up in another phase that's going to lead to an abusive issue, an incident that happens, right? So that's where and it then stops we make being up. offensive and defensive and it's just defensive yeah. against mm-hmm. defense. And so we, we end up in this tension building phase, right? <clears throat> And then another abusive incident happens. And then we want to get back to the point of honeymoon phase. And then we get back into the tension building phase. And then, you know, so it just becomes this big cycle of violence over and over again. And when those lines, again, are like, okay, well, it's become repetitive. But at this point, there's enough emotional and other abuse that's happened, aside from the physical violence, where people's self-esteem begins to erode and they're incapable of making sound judgments and it just perpetuates itself. And this can all, this doesn't have to be physical violence. No. This can be verbal abuse. It can be mental abuse, psychological abuse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what gaslighting is? No. So there's I know I've heard the term. So yeah, but... there's a movie called Gaslight. Okay. But it's basically about this guy who uh, they live in some kind of castle or whatever, and they have gaslighting, and he begins to turn the lights down constantly. 
until, you know, and she keeps thinking that, um, <clears throat> and he keeps telling her, no, everything's the same, right? But it's not. He's turning down the lights, like, every day, just a little bit more, until it's almost dark, right? He's basically driving her insane. Okay. Because she, it's just so subtle, constantly, over time, and it just begins to erode one's belief because you think you're in a relationship with somebody who cares about you that you should trust and they're just eroding everything because they want to be in control of everything and be able to tell you where you can go and what you can do and what's okay because they're out of control they don't have control of their own life is it solely a control issue then that we have to Pretty much. And how do you address, I mean, how do you even begin, the conversation alone is foggy enough (laughs) to not have a solid direction. How do you even address that? Well, I would start by asking, (laughs) I I would start by asking an abuser, why is it, why, why is it okay to hit your partner? Or degrade your partner verbally. I would start, I mean... Yes, there are certainly other exercises, but typically it starts with the physical violence. Why is that, you know, why is that okay? Yeah. And usually it's a because she made me. Redirecting. Yeah. Right. It wasn't me. Well, it's an excuse, right? They're not owning their own behavior. I hit her because, right? Because why? Did she swing at you? Which you in know? most cases no. would probably be no. Dinner wasn't on the table. No, it was the there, car but it was cold. wasn't made. Yeah. You know, no, because so and so made me do this. There isn't a. This isn't like. This is not like assault by a stranger. This isn't somebody swung at me first. I'm gonna hit you back. Right. This is. You know, this is because you made me do it. Sorry. You know, this isn't, um, this isn't because, you know, this isn't because somebody swung at you first. This isn't because somebody, um, got in your face, right? People, the people you love get in your face. Your kids get in your face. They climb all over you. Your animals get in your face. They climb all over you. This isn't, you know... It's like it, you have to break down what happens. Like what happens when a man loses his job and he's no longer the primary breadwinner. Then what are you going to do? I mean, these are very real issues for yeah. everybody in this day and age. When it takes Regardless two people, of a domestic violence yeah, situation. Where it, yeah. two, where it takes two people to really maintain a household these days. And if you have kids, it probably takes five or six people to run a household. Even if you don't have it, you've at least got, you know, two people, you know. And if you're a single parent and you're in a relationship and that becomes even sketchier. Like, how do you date today in these day, in this day and age and find out if somebody is a stallworthy person and, and has good character and is not insane and going to beat the shit out of you? Right. I mean, these are real things that I worry about for my daughter, like giving her the tools and the skills to say, 
okay, you know, how do we, how do we navigate this? And I think a big part of it is like, how do we talk to men today about what's going on without being flippant? Like actually acknowledging the fact that they're under an enormous amount of pressure to live some sort of stereotype of a perfect dude. Because none of us are perfect. We are all people. Nobody is. Yeah. yeah. We're all just people. And very right? few people realize that and feel like they, God damn it, I wasn't perfect today. You're not going to be perfect any are. day. Yeah. And it's, you know. And it, <laughs> Calm I, down. Slow down. Know, like we you were can saying, work on being perfect, but being perfect is, come on. But how do, you, you know, how do you acknowledge those emotions? Yeah. Right? Everybody... Everybody talks about the fact that we want a more sensitive man. But then we have the hipster movement. <laughs> I don't know if we have enough time to go into the no, hipster movement. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's like this it's this strange perception of okay, all right. You know, in the 90s we all talked about like wanting to have a sensitive man. And yet we have this backlash of men being more quote-unquote manly and i just feel like there's such a disconnect between social media social media and reality where people Huge don't connect disconnect. anymore yeah. and it's just like having an opportunity to be men and when i say that i mean like being able to talk about real topics not over a text not on facebook but just talking about like real feelings and being able to acknowledge them. And that includes heartbreak and that includes yeah. sexual dysfunction and that includes not getting the job that you wanted and making less than your spouse and or social anxiety, anxiety or... <laughs> and depression yeah. and feeling like you're worthless. And, you know, as much mental as many mental health issues as there are today. You know, I just, I feel like there is less of an expectation of men in certain circles to be able to come together like women do and just be able to talk about those openly. You yeah. know, I, like it's perceived as something stupid and like why would you ever need men to come together and do that in a group? And I think men kind of perpetuate that. It's like, no, that would actually be really healthy. And no, I'm not talking about a fucking safe space. And those of you who know what I'm talking about, know what I'm talking about. You know, it's like, yeah, you do kind of need a safe space. You need a place where you can you need go. need a place where you can be vulnerable and, be able to talk and about comfortable. And, and let it discuss out. And, and have This real... is what I'm feeling. This is where I'm coming from. And Yeah. And, and be able to there. have other people say, hey... You're not alone. I've experienced that. And let me tell you what I learned. Yeah. And not feel like anybody's going to turn around and go, you're a douchebag. Or I'm going to label you as a pussy. Right. Or I'm going to label you man as some up. other derogatory man female. Up, man. Suck it you know? up. Yeah. yeah. And I do feel like that's a huge part of it. And, you know, that might be my feminist side coming out. No, but I, I really feel like that's a big part of it. Is it that, for a long time in my life, I had that mindset of, Man up, I have to, this is my expectation and I can't say that I am sensitive in one regard or the other. And it took 
35, 36 years as a 36-year-old man to get to that point where I'd be like, no, I'm a little fucking upset about this right now. Mm-hmm. And this is where I'm coming from. And and maybe that is a good starting point. Um, like we both said, this is going to be a multiple podcast sit-down Come over, let's have some venison stroganoff, drink a couple <laughs> bottles of wine, and, and delve down this rabbit hole. But I think we're just coming up on an hour, and I, I don't know if do you want to do you want to pause at that and let whoever may listen to this listen to it and digest it, and we come back to it. I mean, do you? Yeah, I think that would be great. I think that you know anybody who is. Um who needs a resource should look to your website. I'll give you some really good links that is and looking for more when information. Watch the podcast. I will absolutely list all those resources. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think that I, I think it's, a, I think it's a, it's a beginning of a dialogue for okay. sure. That has to be had. Yeah. As unnavigational, if that's even a word, I mean, I, yeah. Yeah. How do you, it's, Social change begins at home. This this isn't a point A to B conversation by any means. (laughs) I can't imagine all the the aspects and faucets that go into it, but I'm super excited to have sat down with you tonight and talk about it and to sit down with you in the future several times, probably, and talk about it some more and, and at the very least bring awareness to it. I think it's super ironic that even though we talked about this months ago, we are sitting down in October and talking about it, Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and it's a springboard, hopefully, for us to continue the conversation and bring awareness to it more and educate me more and drive people towards resources that hopefully can help them in these situations. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Thanks for having me, LJ. No, it's totally awesome. Thanks for bringing two bottles of wine. <laughs> it helps. I'm eating dinner with this. <laughs> so we get a high five on the microphone. Hell yeah. I think we got it. Um, Thank you for tuning in. That's the first episode of the Dead Serial Podcast. Do no harm. Take no shit. Don't be a douchebag. And we'll see you next time. I'm not a communist. I'm not a capitalist or a fucking fascist. I don't fit into any of those molds. I'm not a socialist. I'm not an anarchist or a nihilist. I've got my own principles. And I've got my own views That enable me not to choose A label to classify myself I'm not a Republican I'm not a Democrat I see no sense in that Neither is worth its weight in gold I don't mean But I must insist it's all meaningless These classifications are getting
I'm not preaching. I'm just saying it's not black or white. Let me mention, I'm not preaching. I'm just saying it's not black or white. Let me mention, I'm not preaching. I'm just saying it's not black. 